Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 42 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. Super, super excited for this talk with Pro Beach Volleyball player and Olympic bronze medalist Holly McPeak. You'll definitely want to check out the show notes for this episode at quigglegroup.com backslash 042. We'll have a special freebie available for you there at quigglegroup.com backslash 042. Okay, let's talk life leadership with Holly McPeak on and off the court. There's enough competitive juices out there where you as a parent don't have to get involved. You can support them, help them. Hey, how can we help you get better? Congratulations, I thought you played great. Or, you know, whatever it is, just be supportive and be there for them. But don't put added pressure on them. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group That's what my show is about, learning from the best how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So 72 career titles, top three with Misty May Trainer and Kerry Walsh Jennings for women in pro beach volleyball history bronze medalist at the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece with partner Elaine Youngs. Holly is just one of five women worldwide to participate in three Olympics in beach volleyball. She was elected to the Beach Volleyball Hall of Fame, the Volleyball Hall of Fame in 2009. Perhaps no other female player has been more impactful in beach volleyball's rise to international awareness and excitement than Holly McPeak. From an unspeakable athlete, she now is so giving as a coach mentor, and role model for thousands of young women who are just trying to make their mark on the sport and in this world. I'm fortunate to call Holly a friend, and I'm so grateful for the mentor she's been to my daughter, Corinne, in her pursuit of passion for beach volleyball. Holly, thanks for being here today and talking leadership with me and my listeners. It's my pleasure. I feel like I learn something new every time I talk to you, so I enjoy it. Well, I appreciate that. So today, you know, I kind of want to dig deep on on all a bunch of different things, but mainly, you know, I want to talk to players, I want to talk to parents, and I want to talk to coaches. And I want to parlay your hours upon hours upon hours of training and years of experience into advice for passionate, eager, aspiring players out there. So when we talk about players, what do you think are defining traits of a champion? Well, for one, I think it's really important that that player has a passion for the sport. There's a lot of athletes and, you know, as you go up in levels in terms of youth to high school to college and then to the pro level, obviously it's that pyramid shape and it gets fewer and fewer. But I think it's really important to have a passion for the sport. If you love the sport, you're going to put in what it takes to be the best. So that's one thing. And then discipline, hard work, willing to learn. You have to be open to learning. And and I think that's a great trait for anybody in whatever they do. You have to be open to learning. You can't be closed-minded and ever think you, you know, know it all. I remember I was at the 96 Olympic Games and there was a man named Gene Selznick. He is a legend in our sport. I didn't know him personally. He was probably in his 70s by the time I met him. I met him in Atlanta, and he kind of had a a gruff way of talking, but I was the number one team in the world with my partner, Nancy Reno. We were the favorite to win the gold medal, and I was rallying, warming up, and he's like, is that how you play volleyball? And I I just was turned off by him. I'm like, why is he criticizing me? He's like, you don't even move your feet. You're lazy. And I was like, wow, I just met you, and you're on me. (laughs) Wow. So he he wasn't my favorite person. But the reason why I'm telling you this is because at, at lunch, I was sitting down with my husband. He's like, you know, just give Gene a chance. Listen to what he has to say. What if he can help you? What if his delivery is not great? But what if he has something really good to say? And my husband was right. He's always good at teaching me and opening my eyes to lessons. But Gene Selznick became my coach, my friend, my mentor. And I really, it, you know, I was the best in the world. I didn't need to listen to him. But it it struck a chord. I wanted to be better, and he could show me how to get better. So being willing to learn and open to those opportunities, even when you don't really need it or think you need it. So I think that's really important to being a champion as well. Yeah, no. And then obviously, sorry, the hard work and the discipline 
and, you know, the never give up attitude. That's really important when, you know, trying to be a champion. See, and I appreciate the fact you said even beyond volleyball because it's not just on the court. I mean, are there traits that you, that you, you know, look for in athletes off the court as well? What, you know, what makes you say, oh, yeah, they've got what it takes? Well, one, passion, uh, being inquisitive, um, being hard work, being focused, listening. Um, some of the things that I look for in young athletes is, and these are lessons that they're learning as they grow up, but I see parents um, that don't do it and parents that do, or at least encourage, but I love it when kids advocate for themselves. I was very shy. Uh, I didn't want to talk to any coach. I was just like, I'm just going to work harder and I'm going to prove it. But I feel like it's important that you as an athlete, I don't care how old you are, advocate for yourself. As a club owner and a coach, we have parents who call and advocate for their kids all the time. And I say, you know what? Thank you. We really appreciate that. But can you have your child tell me that? I've had many instances where the parents were all about it and had goals in the sport, but the child didn't. And it was obvious to me. That's why the child was not advocating to me for themselves or the young adult, excuse me. But I think those are important things in life. You have to advocate for yourself. So at what age does that start? I mean, I mean, because, you know, we, we have younger kids. They get started so young these days in sports. And, and, I mean, is it middle school? Is it high school that you start saying, hey, you need to talk for yourself? Or is it even younger than that? I think, you know, as they mature, it's probably different. We see lot. I see eighth graders who are very mature who can advocate for themselves and some not as mature. But I would think like middle school, they should be doing a good job advocating for themselves and figuring out what they need to do in sports. So you brought up listening, and I, I appreciate that you did that. What do you mean by that? Because you said you know you, the importance of listening. Well, you know, there's a there's a lot of people with a lot of good knowledge and being open to that knowledge. Um, I'll give you another example because I have a lot of examples. I had a young eighth grader who's very talented. She is one of the best in the country in her age group. And she came and did a lesson with me. And whatever I had to say, she didn't want to listen to it. And I called her mom after the practice. It was, I rarely have that experience because, because most people have a lot of respect for me and listen. And the mom said, it's not going to work. We're we're not a good match. She doesn't want to hear anything I have to say. I don't think she's mature enough. So, you know, fast forward a year later and her mom, she's part of our club. She's matured a lot and she comes to practice and she wants to do another private. And I'm, I said, I'll try one more. And now she's very open. She trusts me. But when she was in eighth grade, she wasn't willing to listen. And, and that comes, I think, with maturity. And I think when you're secure with yourself, I think sometimes when you're insecure and somebody's telling you what to do, it, it scares you. But I think the pursuit of getting better, and if it, and I think that's a lifelong journey. I want to get better every day at everything I do. So I think it's a lifelong journey in whatever you do, whether it's sports, whether it's personal relationships, whether it's something you're doing in business, being able to listen and learn and, and be open to new ideas. I think it's really important. Yeah, and that's all part of the mental game. And we'll get into the physical part in a second. But, you know, mentally, you know, what makes a good athlete? W were there any routines and practices that you kept when you played from a mental you know, standpoint? Well, I was really fortunate to grow up in Manhattan Beach, and I played at Maricosta High School. And we had a really disciplined high school volleyball program where expectations were really high, uh, very structured. And I learned that I really thrived in that atmosphere because the expectations were all the same. Everybody had to show up on time. Everybody had to give it their all. We all had one common goal. And I found that as an athlete and as a person that I thrived in that kind of a situation. And then, you know, mentally, like figuring out ways to get better. I would watch the best players who were older than me. What do they do that I don't do? What can I do better than them? And figure out how to do it. This, this is something that I feel like is a lost art. Some of the young athletes, if they get knocked out of the AVP tournament, they don't watch the best girls and say, hey, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Or what can I do better? What, how do I get in that winner's circle? And that's something I learned to do from an early age. I was small. I'm, I'm a little under 5'7", and I had to figure out ways to win and succeed. So I think that made me mentally tough because I always had something to prove. 
So you were modeling the best. I mean, you were seeing what they were doing and seeing if you could add that to what you were doing to make yourself even better. I mean, that's that's amazing. And I, th- I think that uh, that's a great message to, to other, you know, young aspiring athletes who are trying to make it in the world is to is to look around, see who's succeeding. It's no different in business, right? What are the good people doing? Um, exactly. Do, do you coach other athletes to develop their mental game? And when, when you're coaching, how, how do you talk about that with them? It's interesting because there's so many different athletes and different personalities. And sometimes you can say it one way and and it doesn't get through. Then you say it another way, it might not get through. Sometimes it takes a different way of saying things, but pointing things out to people, areas that you can improve, you're not doing this. Hey, can you do that better? I want them to figure it out. I can't do it for them. And and I told uh, some high level girls that I was training the other day, look, if I could do it, I would go out and do it for you, but I can't. I am not competing anymore. This is your this is your responsibility. So if you want to do it, you guys have to be mindful and make the changes. I can't do it for you. And I think a lot of times sports are so structured now that the coach runs practice, the coach does this, the coach does that. And players don't learn to think for themselves and how to improve their game on their own. So they need to figure out how to learn what, what helps them learn, what helps them get better. These are all things that I try and teach my athletes. Like you need to figure it out. I will help, but you need to figure out how to improve your game. And so for my listeners, and I just want to point this out. So when Holly says she's working with different, you know, mindsets, she means it. I mean, so I'm gonna, I'm just going to say, so she'll go from training and I'll watch this. She'll go from training, you know, middle school or high school to just walking down the beach and then training some of the top AVP pros on the tour. So you're dealing with a lot of different people. But I would argue that maybe, you know, there's a mindset of an elite athlete. If you had to kind of narrow it down, like what is the mindset of an elite athlete? Well, the mindset, I feel like mentally tough is really important because you're always faced with challenges. And, you know, you can't be afraid because there's going to be a lot of challenges. I remember when I first broke out onto the pro tour, I was not intimidated by the top players. I I wanted to take their spot. And I was small. Nobody thought I could win a tournament. But at the same time, I knew the goals I had set for myself. And I did not come in intimidated. I came in to beat them. And maybe I wasn't going to win right away, but I was going to figure out a way. And I think that really threw people off. People didn't like me (laughs) and I was never mean or rude or disrespectful, but I was not intimidated by them. And I had goals and I stuck to my guns and I pushed through. And once I was able to win, you know, I had to stay there. And then there was a target on my back. And so then I'm in a different role because everybody's trying to beat me. So I think mental toughness is really important. And and then obviously assessing where you are and, and where you want to be. And I had some heartbreaking obstacles, hurdles, and I had to regroup and refocus and, and attack again. So I think mental toughness is number one. So So staying in that same vein, when you were playing from a mental standpoint, and I'm always so curious about this, like what goes through your mind when you're up? Like let's say you have a lead. And, and you're trying to play, you know, going to that next point. What are you thinking about that? And I, I say this for this reason. I, I saw an interview with a, a, one of the professional women tennis players. And she was, you know, the top at the time. And she said, I view every point like match point. So every – and I regroup. I, it's like a reset button. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is match point. I need to win this point. This point is the most important point. Because otherwise in tennis, it's so long. Sometimes you get like – you know, you, you lose focus or you get like a day's goal. You know, you, you kind of lose. So she goes, I create a sense of urgency each time, but then I live each point to win it. And, and so I'm always wondering like what went through your mind when you were up, maybe even when you were down? I agree with that mindset completely. It's Every point is an opportunity. And why not give 100% and make it happen that point? You never know when you're going to have another chance. I don't care. I was up 12-3 in the final of the AVP in Long Beach. And I dove into a banner and popped like my bone. A big bump came out in the middle of the final. And my partner's like, why are you diving for that? We're up 12-3. I'm like, that doesn't matter. I'm going to go for every ball 100%. And my husband said the same thing. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I want to win. Every play is as important (laughs) as the last play. And I think living in the moment and, and I keep telling players, forget about the last play. Only think of the play that you're in. Uh, If you make a mistake, boom, throw it away. Next play, 
It's next play mentality, the play that's happening now. So living in the moment and making that the most important play. You can't think about the final point. You can't think about the last point or the first point. You, you just have to be in the moment. And is that, so that's the same thing when you're down? Like, so, so let's say, I mean, let's yeah. say you're in the third set tiebreaker and, you know, it's, it's 12 to six and you're down and you think, you know, maybe you don't have a shot and you're playing to 15. I mean, still one point at time mentality. You have to, you absolutely have to. I mean, that's the thing. If you're playing the mentality where this point is so important, every time you play it the same, then, then your body's used to responding like that. If you ha- feel like, oh, now I'm down six twelve, now I really have to dig deep, then you're playing differently than you normally do. And I feel like you have to play that way every time. I don't care what the score is. You need to give all out every play. Why not? It doesn't make sense not to. So then how should a player handle, like, let, let's say their teammate makes a mistake. And by the way, this is for basketball or baseball or anything. You know, it could be beach volleyball, anything. But when a teammate makes a mistake, how should that partner or that other player handle it? Well, for one, constructive and next play. Get that. And nobody feels worse about that mistake than that person. So be constructive. Hey, next play, we got this. I got this. I'll, I'll cover you here. Whatever. Whatever it is, you take the pressure off your partner and make it better and get them focused on the next play. There's nothing you can do about the last play and the air. There's only something you can do with the present play and the next play is coming up. So <laughs> that's so good and such great advice. So is, is there a story of when your mental game got in the way of your physical game? <sighs> Gosh, my mental game in the way. I don't know. You know, I, I've made mistakes before. I feel like, and it's funny, I was listening to a podcast that Carrie Walsh did recently. And she said one year she was so focused on the end result, which was the Olympics and, and winning another medal. And I felt like in one or two Olympic games, I might've been very end result focused. And then in the meantime, my partner got injured and things shifted and it was a whole different situation, but all I wanted to do or my dream. I envisioned myself on top of an Olympic podium and that was my goal. And so that was my end result and I stayed focused on it. But, you know, a lot of things happened along the way and that became an issue because my partner was injured and my expectations had to change because, you know, we weren't in the same boat. We weren't able to train. She couldn't do anything. It, it was just, so I guess maybe being too end result focused was an issue. So, uh, so I, I love that whole mindset of just supporting each other, and 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 that does come down to, you know, body language. So, if we're speaking of being on the court, can you speak to a player's body language on the court? Like, what does a player's body language communicate? How important is this? A body language is everything. I, I mean, it's important to stay focused, stay positive. I, I see negative body language and I cannot stand it. There's no reason for it. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you. Even if you're down on yourself, doesn't help your partner. What's the point of it? It really, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't understand negative body language. I've never had it. Um, even when I'm disappointed or frustrated, I do not show it with negative body language. It, it's just not beneficial for anybody. So, so Don Flora, who's a, a volleyball coach friend of mine from college, who's at Southwestern University, told me this great story one time. He said that he does not recruit pointers. And I was like, what does that mean? He goes, he goes, when you see somebody point at somebody else on the court, you know, like, hey, that was your fault or, you know, watch yourself. He goes, pretty soon I know they're going to be pointing at me and they're going to be pointing at my other players. And he said, and I don't like people who say like, my bad, my bad, my bad all the time because he said, eventually I start to believe them. Like, I actually believe, okay, maybe it is your bad, and maybe you're just not that good. And so it is interesting, like, just how body language plays into it. Do you have any, like, drills or mental checklists to help players alter or train their body language? Or do you just talk well, to them about it? Well, one, you have to make somebody aware of it. Sometimes they're not aware. They've grown up doing it. They're not aware of it. Something, it, depending on the maturity of the athlete, something you can tell them is, hey, are you aware that this is how it looks? Are you aware that your opponents think that you're mental and that if you get mad, your game falls apart? Are you aware of that? Because when people become aware of that, they're like, wow, this is something I can control and do I want that out there? A lot of times they're not aware. So you have to point it out and and hopefully they'll learn from it. Yeah. So it's great that you could be that person that that talks to them about that and is very candid with them. So when we, so then that leads in actually perfectly for what I was just thinking of, which is the verbal communication side. 
So how do great players talk on the court? Well, it's so funny. I, you know, learning to interact, the way you talk during sports, during competition, uh, I've learned from different sports psychologists over time, and I kind of grabbed whatever I thought made sense. Positive speak, so important on the court. The same things like, hey, I miss my serve, don't miss yours. I, I can't stand that. It, you don't say that. For me, that's that's my mindset. Hey, next play, a tough serve. Let's do this. You know, you can be aware that the, the, the other player missed their serve, but let's keep it positive. And it's like, hey, I hear all the time, hey, if we win our next game, then we play them. And I'm like, no, when you win your next game, you have to keep it positive. So everything, all the speak and the the dialogue that goes on needs to be positive and constructive. Something that's, let's say a situation is happening on the court and the ball keeps dropping. Hey, let's do this. this. Let's be proactive and make an adjustment and get this worked out together. You know, not blaming it all on the other person. Because as soon as you blame it on the other person or put it all on somebody, they feel the pressure and they feel attacked. So in the sport of beach volleyball, it's two people. You need to work. You need to get the max out of your partner. And it's so important to trust them, to give them, you know, your confidence. It's super important if you want to work together to use those types of tools. So that language becomes so important. You know, in, in my speeches, I talk a lot about situational awareness. And I, at this one point, I said, I'm going to make a statement. And, you know, some of you will disagree. And that, but I go, here goes. I think it's completely unacceptable for you to curse in your personal or business life. I'm like, do you think it makes you look smart? The opposite. Do you think it makes you look strong? The opposite. I'm like, you know, it just doesn't sound good. And it put, and, and I, I bring that up because I just think that there's a culture today of, you know, people cursing and, and you know, being negative and, and putting down. And I think that that just has to stop. And I really do. And I think that there's an advantage to speaking like a leader, having an optimism, forward thinking. So I appreciate all of those things that you're parlaying and talking to with these with these young athletes and, and they need to hear this. And so that whole, are you aware of this? I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to even try that with, within my company. I mean, I, this all goes back to business sometimes, um, you know, within my family and, and, to, and to athletes that I talk to, are, are there any actions that you see on the court that are just huge red flags for you? Well, you know, first of all, one of the things that's really important in sports is confidence. You, you want to be confident in yourself and you feel the most confident when you're the, best prepared. And I think that's really important. So confidence for an athlete is really important. So if somebody, especially your partner, is, is hurting that confidence, that's not good. You want to build them up. You want to make them feel good. So being a young woman, uh, because that's who I coach, uh, young women growing up, I mean, like they, they have so much to worry about in life. Uh, everything's on social media. Girls are posting all sorts of stuff, you know, portraying this perfect life, like everybody else has a perfect life. And you're like, whoa, my life's not that great. How do I, you know, and I think it's really hard. And so you don't want to compare yourself to others. I think that's really important, especially for a young female athlete. I remember growing up, there was this one girl who was probably six years older than me. And she was so fit and she was tall and long and thin and had muscles everywhere. And I'm like, I wanted to look like that. I wanted to, you know, and I don't have that body. I'm not six feet tall. I am going to be the best version of myself. And I think that's something that when you get comfortable in your own skin, you get to a really good, healthy place in everything you do in your life. You feel good about what you do. You max out what you have. You can't be like anybody else. You don't need to impress anybody else. And I think that's so confidence in yourself is super important. I don't know if I went off track there, but no, no, it's just I pre- something that's so important for young female athletes. And as a coach, I want to stay really positive. I, I think the girls trust me because they know I want what's best for them. I don't want to criticize them. I don't want to be uh, negative towards them. I want what's best. For them. I've already played. I've done everything I'm going to do. I want to help them get better. So, and, and, and again, for my listeners, for, for Holly to say that, like, to show you how real this is, I mean, you know, you drove up and had lunch with my daughter on the pier at Malibu while she was at Pepperdine. I mean, you, you go watch these middle school girls and these high school girls play in their tournaments. 
And do you know, I mean, to have some, and that's like having Michael Jordan of your sport standing next to you, like cheering you on and supporting you. I mean, that's just off the charts, incredible. And it, it it's such a boost for them and it's so supportive and it's so over the top, but you know, it's real. And that's what the, what the neat thing is. You have a vested interest in them. And for, I'm going to bring this back to business. You know, from a business perspective, as we sit in our offices and we're trying to support these teams, I mean, when you invest in people and it's real, they want to give you 100%. And they want to be the Absolutely. best, and they want to be the best that they can be. So I just challenge my listeners to invest in the people around them, to 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 you know support them, to protect them, to to you know help educate them, uh, because great things can start to happen. Look what you've done with some of these players that you're that you're supporting and that you're helping along the way. And and, and, you know, it, and it works. I'm sorry, no, it works in everything I do because now we're in our fifth year of our club, Elite Beach Volleyball Club in Manhattan Beach, and and. For the first time, and we've had some great coaching staff, but for the first time, we have basically seven coaches who are all in. They're team players. We trust them. They trust us. And everybody contributes. And it feels so good for everybody. I think it feels better for the kids. They feel like, hey, we're structured. We're all working together. We all have the same goals. And when you're working like that, it's a special environment. And you appreciate it. I appreciate it. I love going to work every day because of that. Yeah, and I'll put a link to Elite Beach Volleyball, and I mean that's amazing. The coaches that you have there, that that, um, and you're sharing all that wisdom. And so, go back to the what is the way an athlete treats their parents communicate oh. to you? Do you make coaching uh, well, decisions based on that observation? Well, for <laughs> for one, it's very important to treat your parents well. Um, I I've seen some instances, not of my athletes, but of young athletes being very abusive uh, towards their parents. And I cannot stand it. I saw somebody do it in front of an entire college coaching staff. And we all were just mouth on the floor. We couldn't believe it. So yeah, obviously the parents are the ones supporting their athletes, taking care of them, driving them, paying for, you know, everything they need. So to be disrespectful of your parents is just unacceptable. And the teachers, I think if you're going to disrespect the people who care about you the most, so you're going to disrespect other people along the way as well. One of the things that I've learned, again, from other parents is I, I do a lot of privates. And when the kids pay me their hand to my hand, it makes more sense than like the kids never seeing the money, never seeing the money being exchanged, never seeing the investment that the parents are putting in for them. So I love when the kids actually hand me the money and they get what's going on. I am, their parents are invested. They're paying me to help make their kids better. And I think it's a really good lesson. I'm definitely going to do that. If my son ever decides he wants to do any type of sports, I will definitely do that. I think that's great advice. And and so it becomes real. I mean, this is real money. And for a lot of these families, I mean, you know, get into clubs to play, you know, pay for private lessons. I mean, it's not easy sometimes. You got a lot of stuff going on. You have multiple kids. I mean, so, and I have to share this just because I saw it one time. I was at a USA tryouts for with Corinne, and uh, I watched this this player berate her mother right in front of the coaches, like you said. And and I remember they all made a note about that young, you know, that young woman. I was I was like, she's done. She before she even started, it was over for her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and and. and- so that matters. And another thing, yeah, another thing at USA tryouts last year, there was a very high level U16 player and her father uh, went and complained after the first day that her daughter, his daughter was on the wrong court. You know, she should be on a higher court. And that was the kiss of death. She didn't make the A1 team and she was in top 10 in her age group for sure. So because it was her father and not her advocating for herself, USA Volleyball said, we're, we're not doing it. So, I mean, I, I saw it firsthand and, you know, parents getting involved, it's a tough thing. And, and so, and, and again, listen, parents, listen to that. And we're going to get a little bit deeper into that in just a few minutes because I want, I want to, you know, get into the whole parents situation. But back to the players for a second, physically. So describe the training. Because we talked about the mental side, but physically describe the training that is necessary to get to that elite level. You know, how much is too much? How many days a week? Like, what do you think? Well, it's interesting. High school, college, I, I, I don't know. You know, it just depends. It depends on the physical development. Obviously, you want to be strong enough to be able to perform your sport. Um, some of the, you know, young 
eighth, ninth graders, you know, you want them to be in good shape, but they don't need to be lifting weights yet. Some of my girls who are, you know, juniors and seniors in high school, I think it's time that they start, you know, developing their core, working their shoulder and legs and, and, and you know, having that str- uh, the full body strength to one, to stay healthy, two, to compete, um, and three, to, you know, be able to last a tournament. A lot of girls run out of gas at the end of the tournament, and that's when you want to be your best. One of the things that I learned, because I was smaller, I had to be very fit. I had to outlast anybody. No one was going to outlast me on the court. We will, everybody else will die on the court. I will still be standing. That's <laughs> kind of that. what, no, but it's true. But that's how I felt. I felt like I needed that extra edge and nobody could outtrain me. So that was really important. And one, I was resilient. I never got injured all because of the way I trained. And I trained for my body. I learned some great things through my strength coaches in college. And I took those on with me to the pros and then kind of just tweaked them for my, for my pro career and, and just learned and kind of built on it because I knew what worked for my body. So Holly, there's a lot of pressure, especially on elite athletes, when you get in that college level and you know it's narrowing down to lift heavy, get stronger. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think weights are, are great. I mean, you don't have to be big and muscular, but you need to be strong. You need to have a strong core and strong back, strong legs. Moving in the sand is not easy, as everybody who's walked in the sand knows. So that's important to have a good base. And then obviously, you know, having a strong shoulder, you're diving, you're digging the ball. Having a strong shoulder is super important for hitting the ball. And you don't want to have shoulder issues as a volleyball player. So what does it mean to actually listen, you know, take care of your body and listen to your body? Well, that's something, <laughs> you know, as an, you're an athlete, that's your machine. It, and so you need to take care of it. You need to eat well. You need to rest. You need to, if something's bothering you and you don't feel right, rest or get it taken care of. But listening to your body is important because sometimes when you don't feel right, then you go out and play, you can get hurt. I used to train, train, train. When I was at UCLA and, in my, and a grad student, I was, uh, was training to be a professional. I actually overtrained for the first time in my life. I was exercising so many, I mean, like six hours a day cause, because I wanted to be extremely fit. But I got to the point where I was exercising. I couldn't even hold my arms out horizontal because I was so exhausted. And that was the first and last time I've ever overtrained now. When I start to feel that fatigue factor, I just say, hey, I'm going to take a day off. It's okay. I'm not going to lose my level, but it's important to listen to your body. If you're feeling that achy flu coming on, and I've trained sick, I've trained, you know, tired, but knowing the difference and knowing when to stop and, and when to rest is really important. So I am so happy that you brought that up. And, and I want to have you actually maybe speak a little bit more to the importance of rest because I know as parents... Like we really do mean well and we want the best for our children, but we're so crazy about, you know, shuffling them to practice and practice and practice and training and this activity and then that event. And we shove their calendar so full to, you know, to the very last second, you know, all well-intentioned, I understand. But what advice do you have for those parents about the importance of rest and just being? Well, I think it's really important. I think, you know, we want our kids to be active. We want them exercising. We want them not distracted by all the other things that aren't so great in life where, you know, people who are idle are getting into things that they shouldn't get into. Rest and recovery is so important. And having one day a week where you're not doing anything is important. It's something that everyone needs. And and some of these kids are way over scheduled. They're exhausted, and then they can't do anything at their maximum capacity. Yeah, and and uh, I I just think that sometimes I mean you know we don't listen to our bodies. We're we're going going going, and as parents we need to recognize that you know they just need time to do homework and to and to relax. And and that absolutely, that, and that takes us right into the parents' conversation. And so, how do parents fit into this competitive mix? I know, I know we have to be diplomatic when dealing with parents one-to-one, you know, one-on-one, but what are some of the most frustrating things that parents do? Well, you know, it, you just, you want them to be supportive. You know, the whole term, I love to watch you play. It's nice. I like that. But you know what? I was so competitive. My parents, 
for the most part, never said anything about, you know, my game or anything. It didn't matter if I scored eight goals. It didn't matter. You know what I mean? It just, they were there to support me and I knew they loved me, but it didn't matter how I played. I mean, maybe they didn't have to say anything because I was, I mean, I was talented. (laughs) You were doing well. It's it's nice when you're winning. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that's important because sometimes when it's the parents push, 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 I see the kids don't have a passion for the sport. Like for me, if I wanted to quit at any time, I wouldn't have felt like no big deal. They wouldn't have cared. They'll support me in whatever I do. But sometimes when the parents are over the top and then the kids, what if they don't want to play? What if they realize it's not their passion um, and they've got all this pressure from the parents? And I think that happens a lot. Even when you get in the club indoor situation where it's a lot of money and it's a lot of grind and it's a lot of time. It's important to listen to the kids. Is this your passion? Do you want to keep doing this? You don't have to do this if this isn't, you know, your passion, but I'm here to support you. I think that's important. Um, I, I hear a lot. You have to win this tournament. You know, yeah, that's a, it's a nice goal, but I, you know, do you really want to go in with that attitude as a parent? I don't know. I, I want to win every tournament I, I play in. That's why I don't play in tournaments because I don't know if I could. And I don't care what tournament it is. I still want to win it, even knowing that I haven't played professionally in a long time. So it's just being supportive. You want your kid to have the best experience. Know their love no matter what. If they don't win, guess who feels bad? They feel awful. And if that's their goal. So you don't need to add something on top of it. I saw one parent after a tournament refused to give their kid a ride home after they got second and didn't have a great final. And, you know, it's, wow. it was a two-mile walk home, but it was wrong. It was rude, and it was, it's not right. And those kind of, the, that kind of treatment, it, does, it affects you mentally. It really does. I mean, one, maybe it's going to make that girl mentally tough. I don't know, but I don't, I, I don't approve of that kind of treatment. So first of all, that's just insane. I mean, that's, I mean, I you're, agree. You're, you're like, what are you kidding? That actually happens, but you know, it, it does. I mean, you just see, and, and so, you know, can some parental behavior actually hurt their child, you know, the child's chance of success? Definitely. I mean, if you're out there and you're afraid to lose because of what's going to happen at home, that's the wrong mindset. First of all, you don't ever want to be afraid to lose. That's not the right mindset. And if you have all that extra pressure on you, you're going to enter that mindset. You want to be out there trying to do your best. Obviously, goal is winning. I get that. And, and you can go in with those kind of intentions. That's okay. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you don't have to win. Just give it your all. Do your best. And if that happens, you should win the tournament. You know, I, I have this thing that I talked with the kids about from the time they were young. And I would always say, look outside this house. That's where we compete. We never compete in this house. Do you understand that? Like everyone has everyone's back. This is the safe place. Life is hard out there. But here, this should be easy. So you can come here with any problem, anything. Like we can solve it. But out there, hard here. And the kids actually bought into that, Holly. They actually kind of support each other and love each other because of it. Because they realize it's kind of like a, an us against them mentality. Like this is okay. That's that's tough. It's not that it's going to be hard, you know too hard, but just difficult. Life is difficult at times. And, uh, I agree. And I, I like that amongst the team, too. I mean, you know, you hear different teams and some teams are like, hey, we've all got each other's back. We're on the same team. It's safe here. We are all fighting towards the same goal. Similar to the family thing. You you want to feel that. I feel like when you feel that you are at your best. You don't everybody wants the same thing. So then conversely, like, what are the most important? Like, could you get to talk to some parents right now? So I'm gonna, I want, you know, parents of athletes to actually listen to you to say, what, you know, how should I be acting? What are the most important things parents can do to enhance and support their kids on this journey and training? One, make sure that the kid wants or, or that you're aware of the child's goals. That's important. What are their goals, not your goals? What are the child's goals or young athletes' goals in this sport? How can I help support them? And then don't put any added pressure on them. Let them figure it out. It's so competitive out there. You know, young female athletes could be the most vicious, <laughs> most competitive people, you know. I mean, it's like, oh, it's just, it gets really catty. 
And it, one of the biggest things I tell my kids is don't do that. Don't get into it. Don't be negative. Keep it all positive and focus on you. Criticizing those people over there does not help you. It's a waste of energy. And so, like I said, there's enough competitive juices out there where you as a parent don't have to get involved. You can support them, help them. Hey, how can we help you get better? Congratulations. I thought you played great. Or, or you know, whatever it is, just be supportive and, and, and be there for them. But don't put added pressure on them. If you don't know the sport, don't talk about the game. Because uh, my mom, actually, when I was a pro, she would say things. And I'm like, what are you thinking, mama? She would say things like, why is your partner up at the net and you have the whole backcourt? I'm like, mom, that's the plan. She's the blocker. I'm the defender. Oh, you know, great. stuff like that. If you don't know the sport, don't for advice because then then it just turns out to not be a very healthy exchange. So I love that you brought that up because I resemble that remark, by the way, with my daughter, because you know, I'm not a volleyball <laughs> person, right? So, you know, but yeah. she loves it and it's her passion. So I love I love that I've come up with like a list of things that I feel comfortable saying, like, come on. <laughs> side out. Come on. Like, like you yeah. know, that's all I've got. You know, I, I that's all I have because I, it would make no sense for me to say anything else because I don't have that knowledge. And uh, so she's approved those sayings, by the way. You know, I, I asked okay, her, is, yeah. is that okay? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine with me. So, uh, and by the way, I also call it sitting cardio. So I just sit there silent and inside uh, my heart's beating a million miles a minute. But, you know, on the outside, I'm not, I don't want to be that dad that's yelling and screaming and doing everything else. So, but it's sitting Well, on cardio. that note, about how parents like at the beach, you know, I hear parents say awful things during the match, whether it's like, Oh, you got that ball. It's easy. It's easy. Oh, that, Oh, or when the other team hits it out, yay. You know, you don't cheer bad plays for another team. You cheer positively for your team. It does not help to cheer as much as you want your kid to win. You can do it inside, whatever, but do not cheer negatively. Uh, against other young athletes. It's, it's like I said, it's hard enough. So I, I would say keep it positive, keep it supportive. And as competitive as you want to be with the other kids, it, that's not your role as a parent. Yeah, see, and, and this is such great advice. I want every parent to listen to this. You know, it goes back to, and, and I get it, like as parents, we want the best for our kids so, so bad that it hurts. You know, I've said so many prayers on the side of sideline court, volleyball courts, and I'm like, God, I know you're busy. But I'd like you to have Corinne serve this ace on the, you know, and you're like, are you serious? I mean, there's famine and, you know, wars and everything. And here I am praying for this, this ace. But I, I saw this, I saw this interview with this basketball coach and I really was fascinated by it. And I want my listeners to listen carefully to this. He said, you know, he's, he's talking about parents and he said, he said, you know, I have two boys and they're young, younger and they have coaches. And he goes, I probably know more about the basketball than those coaches. His dad's doing this part time. But when I'm on the sideline, I don't coach my boys. They have a coach. And he said, and I think parents need to understand that. Let them be coached by the coach. That's what they're doing. And then he said, and I hear these parents yelling at these refs and these umpires. And he goes, I have to tell you, everybody, these people get paid, what, 20 bucks a game? They got up at 6 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday to come down here and, you know, talk to eighth graders or, or fourth graders, you know, or co I'm sorry, you know, be an umpire or ref for eighth graders. And he goes, I have a strong feeling. They're not sitting there the night before saying, I, how am I going to sabotage that 10-year-old tomorrow? You know, how am I going to sabotage that team? He goes, I don't even think they know who your 10-year-old is. And they probably yeah. don't even care no. who wins the game or the match. And so, so, no, so quit yelling at them. You know, quit yelling at these people and let the kids have fun and play. Exactly. They're trying to create a fun environment for your kids to compete. You know, on the other side, because I heard a story yesterday about the middle school volleyball team in our area. And a young boy was all, he's a seventh grader, super excited to try out for the middle school volleyball team, got there early, signed up his name, got in line. He was third in line and a kid pushed him out of line, you know, seventh, eighth grade boys kind of messing around. And so he tried to wiggle his way back into line, got in and the coach immediately pointed to him and said, get out of the gym. And he's like, excuse me. She said, get out of the gym. I don't want you here. He said, I just got pushed out of line. I was trying to get back in line. She's like, no, out. Didn't take an explanation, anything. This is a kid who loves the sport, wanted to, you know, he got there early to sign up, was ready, you know, and because of that circumstance, she wouldn't even give him a chance. So there, <laughs> there are situations when coaches are not fair. And the right. mother went in the next day and said, look, you know, 
my kid was heartbroken. He really wanted to try out and this, he got pushed out of line and, and she, in the woman said, he's uncoachable. I don't want him in my gym. <laughs> and in, you're like, what, why are these type of people, this woman's coach, why is she in that position? It's yeah. heartbreaking. If you don't like kids, if you don't want to make kids better, if you don't want to be a good role model, don't be a coach because you have a chance to influence these kids for the rest of their life. Now, what do you think this young boy thinks about this coach or, or thinks about, I mean, it's. And volleyball. I mean, you know, it just starts to affect exactly. your whole mindset and then, and then other team sports. I mean, you know, it is tough being a teenager for all of us. It was when I was there. It will be when my kids, you know, my kids are there. I mean, it, it is tough. So I don't want to take that away. But you do need good leaders above you. And that's why we're going to talk about coaching here in just a second. I, I can't yeah, wait. Positive, you, you, you just led right into that. So I appreciate positive that. Positive coaching is so important. It's funny. I, I, my blood was boiling when I heard the story. And I, I, I wanted to actually go in and talk to that coach. But at the same time, I, I told the young, young man that, do you even want to play for somebody like that? I don't even think it's worth your time to go in and, and try and make something of it because she's miserable and she's not going to set a good example for anybody. I don't like the way she carries herself. She's not fair. Um, so it's just, you know, stories of. Well, Holly, uh, Holly I, th I think that this, is a, this is a great point for everybody to hear. Things aren't always going to be fair in life. They're not. And you're going to have bad oh, yeah. coaches. You're going to have bad teachers. You're going to have bad bosses. But it's it's what how you let that affect you. So do you let that define and defeat you, or do you let it empower you and strengthen you? Like how do you come out of this even stronger than than the way you were before? I mean, I look back, Corinne, who is now playing. You know, my daughter who's playing at Pepperdine, who's you know doing fantastic. You know, I am her father, so I'm saying that. But you know, she's doing <laughs> she fantastic. Um, you know, she got cut from her sixth grade volleyball team. And she, she, I mean, that just is hilarious to me because she got cut. Well, guess what she determined to do? Make it in the seventh grade. And she worked so hard to make sure that that never happened again in her life. And so, you know, a lot of this is how do you affect, you know, how does it, how does it affect you? I mean, is it defining and defeating you or empowering you and strengthening you? And, and, and coaching, coaching becomes so important. And, and I want to, I want to talk about this. So you know, on to you as a coach and, and, and your advice for other coaches. So how, Holly, do you coach? Like, what is your philosophy or coaching style? Well, one, it's positive. I want to be constructive. I want to be a safe place. I am hard. I, I, I'm disciplined. I, I have expectations. But at the same time, I understand that these are young athletes trying to figure it out. So... One, being supportive. Two, knowing that I'm a safe place for them. I, I don't want, I want them to come out on the volleyball court and not have to worry about their social life. I want them to come and, and worry about getting better and work hard. And I want to help them get better. So that's really important. There's some athletes who don't want to come and get better. And, and if you're wasting my time, if you don't want to come here and get better, go somewhere else where you don't have to try and put the effort in. But when you try and you put the effort in, good things will happen. It helps the entire group that's training with you. Everything that you do, if you're working hard, it makes everything around you better. You want to be part of a group that has the same goal. We all want to get better. And when you have that, really great things happen when you're coaching that type of team. I thought it's interesting, Luann, uh, my wife, who, you know, was a coach herself for, for tennis and played in college, she said there's two types of coaches. There's the ones who stand there and say, like, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop. And then there's ones who say, hey, I love the way you did that. Can I see a little bit more of that? And there's a difference there. There's the negative side and the positive side. And I've recognized watching you coach that you have a very positive side. So I give you credit for that because you're you're finding the good, you're coaching the good, you're, you know, pushing them in the right direction. And, and, and so maybe it's not something that you specifically do as a coach, but are there things that, you know, other coaches do that you like um, and, and think can be helpful? I think communicating with the athletes, calling them in, refocusing them. Uh, one of the girls I work with, Barbara Fontana, is really good at that. She brings the kids in, she talks to them, gets refocused, and is really positive with the kids. It's important to be positive, and, and you want the kids to know that you care. That's really important. I, I see too many negative coaches who, you know, like, yeah, don't do that or don't, you know, it, you can be negative and it's just such a turnoff. It does, it does, it's not beneficial to anybody. You want to help 
guide these young athletes in the right direction, teach them lessons, point things out. Hey, can you do that better? Hey, be a good role model. Hey, treat those people better. That's not okay to to be rude like that. Or, you know, we're trying to, we're role models. We're trying to make these kids better, not just in sports, but in life and prepare them for the rest of, of life, whatever, whether it's school, whether it's their job, whether it's their family life, it's, it's all important. And by the way, Barbara Fontana, incredible volleyball player also, and great coach and coaches with you at Elite, but also a strong, you know, not just volleyball, but strong mental coach. I mean, she, you know, she, like you, I think she gets it and she understands, you know, that this is, you, you got, you're coaching them. Most kids aren't going to make it to the next level and then the next level. And so when you're coaching them, we have this opportunity to be part of, you know, their leadership and life. And I think both of you get that. And, and I commend you for that. I mean, that's such so neat that you get to do that on a regular basis. So, well, we feel fortunate that we get to give back to a sport and to young athletes. And I mean, I just feel really blessed that I'm in this position. We love going to work every day. Well, see, and I see your posts and, and it comes across that way. I mean, how, how often in life do you get to kind of take this passion and then continue it on, you know, throughout your whole life and then again, impact these lives? And so, you know, and, and from the coaching perspective, because I, I just think this is, this is really important because I want, you know, coaches who are out there listening to really, you know, get some good takeaways from this. What what is the advice that you would give to other coaches when, say, you're dealing with a kid who has all the raw talent in the world, and we see this a lot, but the wrong attitude? Like, what do you do with that? Oh, man. I, I, I have it. I've seen it. One, I step in, and I say, look, you know I care about you. Here's what I'm seeing. You are so blessed, so talented, but the way you treat your partners, because I, I have a specific player in mind, the way you treat your partners is unacceptable. Nobody wants to play with you. Why? And we have a conversation and she tells me and I say, okay, well, here's what I think. Here's what you can do better. You need to be aware. And I don't care if you're the best player in the world. If you have this attitude, nobody will play with you. And you cannot do anything in the sport of beach volleyball if you cannot have a good relationship with your partner. Uh, it doesn't matter what school you go to. It's a problem. And I, I've had that conversation. It's a continuing situation. Hopefully it evolves and she figures it out. But, you know, staying positive is so important. in the. Let me, dig, let me dig deeper. What does she say to that? I mean, when you tell her that, I mean, is, is she surprised? She, by said, she, she doesn't understand the delivery, how she delivers it. And um, granted, this is a player who has very little parental supervision. So nobody really guiding her in that area. So that's why I reach out to her and I really would love to see her do well. But right now her personal relationships, especially in the sport of volleyball suffer because she does not treat her partners. Well, uh, when the going gets tough, she falls apart and blames her partner. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants yeah, that. Nobody wants and that. It, it's a defense mechanism. I'm the best player, so it can't be me. It's got to be my partner. It, it's, you know, for someone like me or you, you, we know she, when it comes down to it, she's insecure. And that's why she's pointing the finger at her partner. And I, I know that, but I have to get through to her and try and teach that lesson. And I, I'm struggling, but I'm not going to give up. So what, what coaching styles have you seen that don't work? Like, I mean, probably, I mean, you've had a lot of coaches in your life. I mean, uh, the, and you've, you have coaches around you. What styles have you seen that just didn't, you know, have the results that were maybe even um, negative? The, you know, the dominating, I'm always right, you're never right thing where, you know, because a coach should be working with the team. I like don't get me wrong. I love a discipline environment. I love if you're one minute late, you're running sprints. I'm okay with that. But I want to know that that coach has my best interest and and stays positive. As somebody who berates us, somebody who doesn't give a girl as a coach. Uh, I had a college coach who never came with a lesson plan, always turned in the wrong lineups. And as an athlete, when you see that, I mean, that's their job. That's the coach's job. If they're not doing their job, you as an athlete start to lose respect for them because that's, we're, we're here, we're doing our job. You do your job. And that was something that I learned immediately. But I had some great coaches who ran, you know, disciplined, positive environments and where expectations were high. We all set goals as a team. 
we competed every day for what we wanted, but it was all positive. So I see the negativity. I see sometimes where, you know, the coach is always right. You're not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to be part of the process. And I don't think that's okay. So what about the yellers? <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I hate to use that word just like that, but their coaches just yell and yell and yell and yell. What What are your thoughts there? Well, you know, they're intense people. I, does it help? I don't know. I mean, I know as a partner, if my partner yells at me and I know they're supporting me to get that ball up, I'm going to get it up <laughs> because they're, you know, encouraging me. So there's positive yelling and then there's too much because at what point when they yell at you all the time, do you just tune them out? So, you know, being encouraging, being motivational, having great energy as a coach is really important. And then if you're a coach and you love what you do, it shows. If you're a coach and you're not enjoying what you do, that shows as well. And that affects the way your team is. So, you know, yelling, depending on what it is, if it's always negative, obviously, definitely a big red flag. Well, I actually appreciate that you said, you know, they'll tune you out if it's always if it's always negative yelling. Because one of the signs that I have next to my desk, it's just one of these sayings, I have a whole a little place there that I have a whole bunch of stuff. It says, choose your battles. And, and one of the things that I talk about in my speeches, I say, hey, if everything is a battle with you, is anything special anymore? Then it's just True. all a it's battle. Like, yeah. You know, and people I don't agree. want to battle all the time. So I do think there's times to be intense and there's times to kind of, you know, take it back and maybe not take yourself as seriously. But, you know, in, in my experience, a really good coach understands at the gut level that they are so much, you know, more important in an athlete's life than just the sport itself. And and Justin, I'll give you an example. My older son had a lacrosse coach in high school who was a former Navy SEAL. But he was so deliberate to teach the kids like, you know, real, raw life lessons, uh, just, you know, so much beyond just lacrosse. And, and Justin to this day still quotes him and talks about him. And so, you know, each player, you know, is an individual with their, their own story and their own family, their own situation, their own struggles. But do you deliberately look for opportunities to coach into their individual lives? Yes, I, I definitely observe different personalities, what makes people tick. And, and you see how they respond. But when they know that you care about them, especially young female athletes, I'm sure it's the same for boys, but when they know you care, they will take constructive criticism because they know that you care about them and that you want what's best. There's some coaches who criticize. And, and if that athlete doesn't know that coach cares, that can be really, really negative and, and weigh heavy on an athlete. There's lots of high school indoor coaches out there that I see are, I mean, the kids live in fear of their high school coach and they're miserable. And I don't think it's the best environment for young athletes. Yeah, that's, that's good. Nobody wants to live in fear, you know, whether it's for, no. from a boss or a parent or a friend, you know, that you think is a friend or anybody else, you know, coach. So, so let me, let me ask you this question. Cause I'm, I'm just so curious. I mean, here you are with elite your club in, in Manhattan Beach, California. and But let's say you're a parent and you're in Ohio or Minnesota or Florida and you're looking for a good club or coach. What do you look for? What advice would you give? Well, I, I think it, depending on if it's indoor or beach, you, you go around to the different programs, maybe ask around because it, it's hard to know, especially if you're not familiar with any of the coaches. And, and watch them coach. And see how they interact with their athletes. That's really important. How do they interact with their athletes? Are they positive? You know, do they run a, a good practice? I mean, that's important for me. Do they run a good practice? Because you want your kid going to practice and getting better. Sometimes it's just, oh, open gym, just playing the kids just sits around and watches. So probably observing practice is important. And then observing how they coach a game. And you know, sometimes you have an opportunity to do that before you make that commitment to go with a program. Um, these are just some fun questions that I thought I thought of just because I, I since I have you, what do you think of multi-sport athletes? I love multi-sport athletes. I think competing in different sports is really important. I think athletes are becoming too specialized too soon. You know, when we talk to college coaches, especially for indoor volleyball, they love multi-sport athletes because they're versatile. They learn well. You know, they're not so specific in what they do. 
they're more coachable. I played multiple sports growing up. So I think it's really beneficial to play multiple sports as long as you can. If you don't play multiple sports, that's okay. But if you can, I think it's good. You don't get those repetitive use injuries that we're starting to see a lot. And by the way, parents, coaches out there, listen to what Holly just said. Because I remember Justin, our older son, was in in high school playing lacrosse, and he wanted to swim. And the coach said, listen, if you swim, you're not putting enough time into lacrosse. It's pretty much over for you. And so Justin went and swam anyway because he wanted to do it, and I commend him for that. But I love that he came back, and when they started training, I mean, he was outrunning everyone because he'd been swimming so many, you know, hours and hours a day. He was in such great shape, and, and they penalized him, and he, he they wouldn't start him because of that, because he was playing two sports. And I just thought that was so short-sighted. And I love what you it, said about multiple sport athletes because I, I truly believe that. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame when you're getting penalized because you're a kid and you want to play multiple sports. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The coach should put their best athletes out on the floor regardless. Okay, so Holly, lots of parents listening, you know, coaches, all kinds of things. You deal with these people on a day-to-day basis. How would you counsel players going through the recruiting process for college in sports? Oh gosh. Well, uh, you know, it's really important to First, you make a list. Hey, where are the places I go? And then you know, check out the coaches, check out the program, watch a practice, see if it feels right to you. Because coaches have different coaching styles. And then, you know, it's so important that I feel like some young athletes just lock into where they want to play volleyball. But every athlete's really one injury away from just being a normal student. So it's important that you observe the school. Would you be happy as just a regular student at that school? Uh, A lot of kids don't even think about that. They're just so locked into the collegiate athlete or student athlete uh, mindset where they're going to go play and and compete at being just a regular student or, or if you have to have surgery and you have to sit out a season, are you going to be happy at that school? These are all really important things. And, and, you know, we talked about the pyramid, you know, fewer athletes are able to play at the highest level. Not everybody, and and there's some common ad for NCAA, not everybody goes on to be a professional athlete, but they're going to be out there in the world, you know, doing something, a lawyer, a teacher, whatever that is. So it's important that you look at it as an opportunity to compete and and represent a college, but that you also think about, you know, what you want to do after school. Yeah, there's so there's so many opportunities for these kids, and it's not always just sports. And and you know, it's a long life out there. I remember John Wooden. You know, he would invest in these kids because he knew the majority of them were never going to play in the NBA. It's a numbers game. There's only a certain number of positions. But what do they still have to do from age 21, 22? Live, you know, lead exactly. And it's a long exactly. life, hopefully, from that age. So so real quick, as a player, because I want to just go back for a second. We just have a couple more minutes. As a player, what is your favorite memory? Like, what was your highest high? I, Gosh, you know, I, I was just, I was an athlete who loved what I did. So I loved going to practice and grinding out for three hours. I loved that every day. I got to work out and play beach volleyball for a living. And then on the weekends, I got to travel somewhere cool and compete and win money. I got paid to do that. I mean, how lucky am I? And then, you know, winning a scholarship or earning a scholarship to play indoor volleyball in college. I mean, I loved it. And I got to play with my best friends every day. We got to work towards the same goal. I I made lifelong friends in the gym. We all battled every day together. So, I mean, there's so many great memories. I I mean, I can't even list them all. I mean, you know, in terms of one, obviously one of my favorites was being on the medal stand in Athens. Winning an Olympic medal was a goal of mine. So that was one of them. Winning an NCAA championship was a goal. But every tournament I won, every time I, I got to get out and do something that I love to do, I loved it. I, I play volleyball with my girlfriends every Thursday, and I love going out and battling every Thursday. I mean, last Thursday was just as fun as, you know, a match, you know, 10 years ago. I, I love competing. So I'm lucky that I, I'm so passionate about the sport that I get to compete in. So Holly, clearly, I mean, and, and I can feel the passion. So this has been so great. Thank you. I, I really want this to be, 
you know, a go-to resource for athletes and parents out there. You know, would you mind sharing with me a few things off air that I, I can include in the show notes? Because I want to make sure I, I give some things uh, to these parents and and, and uh, coaches and, and players that are listening. So I hope you don't mind that. I'll, I'll ask you for that. But in, the okay. mean, but in the meantime, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've been great and just really appreciate the opportunity. So listeners, uh, you'll have to check it out at quigglegroup.com forward slash 042 to get those. But thank you again, Holly. My pleasure. Thank you. Remember, check out the show notes for this episode of Garage to Goliath with Holly McPeak at quigglegroup.com forward slash 042. There's a special freebie for you there. I'd also really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the show and leave an honest review in iTunes, quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. Subscribing helps others find the show and your reviews help me get better as a host and help me make this podcast better for you. And please share this episode with friends, other parents, with kids in sports, other coaches, anyone you think would enjoy hearing a great conversation with Olympic athlete, Holly McPeak. Thank you. <laughs>